Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Welcome back once again to the Outcomes Rocket Podcast, where we chat with today's most successful and inspiring health leaders. Today, I have Duke Rowland. He's the CEO of Ajax Health and the CEO of Epics Therapeutics. With over 15 years of experience as an executive in medical device companies, Duke serves as the chairman and CEO of both of these firms. Recently, having raised $120 million Series B dollars for Ajax health. They're moving and shaking. Previously, he was the founder and CEO of Spirox, which he sold to Intellis in 2017 for $200 million. And he's now on the board of Intellis. Prior to Spirox, he founded and served as CEO of CV Ingenuity, which he sold to Cavidian in 2013 for $300 million. Of course, this gentleman is distinguished in his ability to create companies that add value in the healthcare space, but also to create viable business models that then get acquired. So it's exciting to be able to dive into his thoughts and the way that things are shaken in the capital environment, but also in the med devices environment. So Duke, want to give you a warm welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. It sounds much more impressive than I actually am. So (laughs) you should feel free to keep speaking. (laughs) <laughs> You're too funny. Hey, so so you've, you've definitely done a lot. Very humble. Love that about you. Anything that I left out in your intro that you want to talk to our guests or our listeners about? Anything you want them to know? Yeah, the only thing that I think is missing from that very kind introduction is how that's done. And I get a lot of the credit, but there's an enormous group of talent underneath me on the technical side, on the business side, on the finance side, on the operations side that doesn't get that credit. And I think that it's important for everybody to sort of understand that this doesn't happen by one person. It clearly happens with extraordinary and coordinated teams of people working together. That's a great call out. And I love your leadership style because it really encapsulates that vision of a leader that puts together those teams that it takes to win. Tell me, what made you decide to get into the medical sector? I like people. I like interacting with people. And very interested in science and technology. My father-in-law is a famous inventor in the cardiology space. My brother is a physician. And I felt it was a really interesting area to combine working with people, working with patients, working with innovation, and working 
in the capability that I have, which is uh, the business and the strategic side. So early on, I recognized that there was compatibility with physicians who are trained to be caregivers, right? Engineers who are trained to invent and my ability to potentially interface with those two groups and create cohesion and business models around uh, I love it. I don't really understand technology outside of healthcare, and I'm not that interested in it, but healthcare has been extremely interesting to me, and the innovation that comes is very tangible, and at the core, it's helping patients, which is you know, helping people, which is what I care, uh, what gives me meaning in life. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's, uh, there's no other place like healthcare that really helps you get that impact uh, directly. Uh, with patients' lives, families' lives. And, and so you've worked with various companies. You've established and uh, turned around some very successful firms. Now you're in your current uh, venture, Duke. Tell us a little bit about what you believe is a hot topic that needs to be on healthcare leaders' minds today. And how are you guys approaching that at AJAC? Yeah, so for me, the most pressing issue facing all healthcare is how do you take out costs or dramatically reduce costs in the healthcare system. And it's something I'm, I'm very interested in, and it, it's a big macro issue, but as, if you drill it down, it comes into play in everybody's lives. The backdrop is that our country is truly the only industrialized country in the world where cost of healthcare is not contained. You know, we almost singularly operate in a red zone above a profit line annually, which is that the cost of care, new inventions, new technologies are actually reducing the profitability of our healthcare system as opposed to making it more viable and affordable. And so the, the only way, in my opinion, healthcare is going to continue to get the innovation that it needs is by creating ways to lower costs and reduce expenses associated with it. So for me, in my world, that means focusing on what I think are the critical pieces of, of technology, which are you know, speed, efficacy, simplicity, and cost. How do you make something much faster? How do you substantiate that speed with efficacy that is objective, right? Mm -hmm. So that un verifiably the speed that you're getting out of a procedure has data that supports it. Simplicity. I mean, I think the world is moving more and more towards a lower common denominator in terms of technical treatment and caregivers that have a broader caregivers that aren't just trained, trained physicians, right? And so right. it's having a simpler procedure that the supporting team at hospitals can do or out-of-care centers can effectively do is important. And then the key thing is cost, right? So all of those things plus reducing costs, in my opinion, is what is going to, in my world, in the medical device world, is going to help reduce costs in this macro issue. Yeah, it's, it's some great call-outs there, Duke. And so what, what are we doing today, listeners? You know, what are we doing to eliminate this cost? What are we doing to speed things up in a clinically-backed way? And these are the hard questions that you have to be asking yourself about your business model. Because if you don't ask them, you could go out of business. So give us an example, Duke, of how you and your organization are creating results in these three areas that you mentioned. So first of all, I don't think that in a medical device company, you can be successful if you just have one of those four capabilities. If you're just simpler or faster or you have efficacy that's better, 
or you don't take cost out, or you have cost that's significantly root, you can't be successful. You have to think of it as a Venn diagram where each one of those four capabilities needs to be addressed and needs to be superior. So what we're trying to do, uh, we have a company called Epix, which is it's an RF ablation catheter that's what we view as a, a next generational RF ablation catheter for patients that are afflicted with atrial fibrillation. The current standard of care is forced contact, where you're applying a certain amount of force uh, with the catheter to the tissue for a certain amount of time. And then there are mathematical algorithms that are spit out that allow you to feel and understand and hope that you're making lesions. What we've tried to do is turn that on its head and have the information that's coming from the distal interface between the tissue and the catheter be real-time. And real-time, we're getting uh, three to 4,000 reads per second about what is exactly happening at the distal tip of the catheter. What that allows us to do is know exactly when we're made creating a lesion, how long to create, how long to burn for, meaning how long until that lesion is transmural, and then when to move on to the next lesion. The result has been that we've taken a procedure time that can be three or four hours and reduced it down to less than an hour. We've taken the number of lesions that you have to create in order to put the patient back into normal sinus rhythm. Uh, we've reduced that by about 50%. Wow. The implications of that are profound, right? You have patients that are being treated more quickly. So the uh, willingness to undergo a treatment is higher. You have hospitals that are able to increase the throughput per day from two or three cases to five to six cases. And that impacts cost dramatically. And the ultimate goal is to then have efficacy that comes from knowing exactly what lesions to make and where to make them and when to stop. The efficacy should go higher. So our approach is to use information and the massive data processing speed. I was just agreeing. Yeah, the, the massive data. Right? The data is, is the differentiator. The data is the differentiator, right? So we're, we're using the fastest processing engines that are possible. We've taken the information source and moved it from the distal tip to the processing computer. And that, that enables us to continue to improve as quickly as data processing accelerates, right? And so instead of having to go and optimize the distal tip of the catheter every time you want to make a change, we're literally optimizing software and relying on the interface and the feedback we're getting from the distal tip uh, interface with the lesion to really empower the physician. So all of those things, those things are, are drivers of change in a space where ultimately data data is going to be what drives uh, treatment and that the data is also going to be what drives a physician benefit. Yeah, dude, this is such a great example. And, and so are you guys right now, is it FDA approved? You're getting there or kind of where are you in the stage there? Yeah, so we are approved in Europe, but we're not commercial. And we are uh, enrolling our IDE study to get PMA approval. We're about two months short of being completely enrolled. And then we nice. expect to have approval in the United States in early 2020. 
That's wonderful. And, and uh, yeah. I mean, these ablation cases, they take forever. And if you're able to reduce the time, I mean, these patients have a lot of comorbidities, you know, time under anesthesia. This could be hugely impactful, not only to the hospital's bottom line, but also to patient outcomes. So kudos to you and your team for yes, the That's exactly right. It's interesting because the physicians that use it, like in the analogy that they use is working on a dial-up modem, which is sort of <laughs> the current standard of care versus yeah. you know high-speed internet connection. And it's true. It's physicians, not only is the economics of speed important, but physicians, you know, people want cutting-edge technology. They want to have information that they previously didn't have. And the trick for us is to make sure that we're capturing all of this information in such a way that we can have the user interface be very simple. So you take a very, very complex, mathematically driven set of algorithms, and you, you put them down into a very simple interface, which in our perfect world has a green light, yellow light, red light. Green light, you're in contact. Yellow light, you're making a lesion. Red light, you're done, move on. So that's nice. the vision. And, and if you think about that from a utilization <laughs> standpoint, if you can really do that, you take a procedure that has to be currently performed by a highly, highly trained electrophysiologist, and potentially you make it a little bit more ubiquitous to the physicians that, uh, or even the technicians who aren't as extensively trained, and that's the vision. That is huge. I love the vision that you have there, Duke. And I think that the outcomes, the costs, everything will follow. I was walking down the street. I like to go for walks uh, in the middle of my day. And I walked to the Starbucks, which is like four blocks away. And I've been noticing lately in front of people's homes, they're, they're starting to put these little ring doorbells. And I noticed that a couple of my neighbors swapped out from a different one to a ring doorbell. And the ring doorbell, what it does is it actually provides videos of either packages being stolen or just criminal activity that happens in the neighborhood. So I saw a couple of people swap out for a ring and it goes back to that data, you know, that data that you get from the device. It's no longer enough to have a device. You need to have data and dashboards. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah, and, and and what you're doing is so cool because you're you're taking this into the operating room and helping cardiologists out. And like you said, right, traditionally you got an EP doing this procedure. Why can't a cardiologist or somebody that does different procedures just do it? And it's just wonderful that you guys are working on this. It's gonna make a big difference for us and a phenomenal example. So listeners, take this into consideration. What are you doing with dashboards and data? How are you leveraging that to make your product differentiated? Because if you're not, your competitor will, and they will leave you in the dust. So Duke, talk to us about a time when you had a setback, something that you learned from that setback. Yeah, so you know it's funny because I think the biggest setbacks come when there is a breakdown of communication channels. I think that in our world, in our medical device world, in our innovation world, setbacks are present every day, right? You're, you're constantly pivoting. You're constantly changing. You're adjusting. You're getting information from either a regulatory body or for a, from an animal study. That isn't the right, the right thing. The key thing for me is making sure that when we get that information, that the appropriate people within the organization 
are aware of that. Where you get into problems is when organizations become siloed and what somebody's working on is isolated from information that potentially another group of the organization is getting. There's an incredible book that I just read called Bad Blood about Mm. Theranos, which is a great book to read. And one of the things that these you know, that Elizabeth Holmes and this guy, Sonny, who ran the organization did is they siloed information and they made sort of iron walls between the different parts of the company that needed to be communicated together. We can't do that, right? The challenge sometimes is is that what's right for the organization strategically might be different than what everybody is marching towards. And I'll give an example. So I believe fundamentally that you have to align three things to work out to have a successful medical device company. You have to have a great technology, you have to have a great team, and then you have to have a great business model. Neither, none of those three things is more important than the other. The technology doesn't trump the team. The team doesn't trump the business model. All three of those are equal contributors to success, okay? However, a team is organized around and galvanized to a business model that they think is the right business model. And that's the business model you need to communicate as the CEO to that organization. There are times, however, when the marching orders of the organization are different than the strategic initiatives that a small group like the CEO, the CFO are working on to create value. And one of the times that I think I could have done a very significantly different job and a better job is is when we sold Spyrox. So we had this incredible team of people that were focused around building a company that was going to change the ear, nose, and throat space with this very simple but elegant technology that got very fast uptake in the market. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I felt that there was a need to be a multi-product company. So we brought KKR in to help us uh, with, you know, provide capital to be able to go buy other assets. And we started looking at other companies to buy. What happened is while we were doing that, Intellis came to us and said, hey, listen, we'd like to buy you. I think I could have done a better job of communicating the pivot in direction from being a standalone single product company to being one that was potentially going to be acquired to the team. I think that the business model made sense, but I think there were were a number of employees who felt left out of the decision process as we, I think we could have done a better job of aligning the team around where the company was going, even though I thought to do so would put at risk some of the pace at which we were, we were operating. So I think alignment around goals, alignment around objectives is critical. And um, I think the biggest challenges for me are when that communication breaks down. And in this case, it made strategic sense to do it. But I think that it was probably very frustrating for the employees. Yeah. No, that's a good call out, Duke. And oftentimes it's that speed at which we we want things to work and finding that right mix of communicating and keeping speed going. Because how do you distinguish that, Duke? I mean, because at, at a certain point, if you if you let too many people know or too many people in, then it could really make the project drag on. How do you, you can't find that do sweet it. Spot? I mean, it, it's it's very challenging because first of all, there's there's information limits when you're working with a right. public company that's trying to acquire. You can't communicate a right. lot of the stuff that's going on. Second of all, the probability of a transaction happening is much lower than the probability of that tra- transaction failing. Mm-hmm. So orient a company and a broader group of people around what might happen is a very significant distraction from 
the objectives that they are following and need to adhere to in order to keep the company going in the case that it doesn't happen. So I don't think there's a lot you can do. I think the trick is to make sure that everybody understands that the business model of medical technology companies is opportunistic. And there are windows in time, there are inflection points where you have to be incredibly opportunistic about what might or might not happen. And I think where I potentially didn't do a good job is communicating that opportunistically, I would look at a transaction if it made sense for the organization. It's a tough line to walk, but I think it's a sense. It's something that I could have done better. I fundamentally believe, though, that all of these companies and all of the organization needs to operate with what I call tension in the line. And tension in the line is an intensity. I got that because I was one time fishing at a dude ranch in Colorado. Uh-huh. And uh, the guide came up to me and said, you're never going to be able to catch a fish. I was fly fishing without keeping tension in the line. And huh. I was thinking oh, about that. God. And it's very relevant to running companies, right? Or to selling companies or to setting goals. You have to have tension in the line. That starts with goals. And then the success of those goals and the success of the organization relies on communication. And the, the tension in the line fans the organization from technology development. Everyone must know what they're doing, and everybody needs to know exactly how what they're doing fits into the whole. And if people don't understand that, A, you have too many people, or B, you don't have enough communication going on about what we're trying to accomplish. Two, team. The team's got to be small. Everybody, what happens to these big companies is they get too many people, and the small and concise communication goes away, and people are sort of punching the clock as opposed to knowing that what they're doing, what their contribution is matters. And when that's gone, you lose accountability. So my whole focus is is being really tight. And then the business model is important as everything, is making sure that you're going. But if you can create tension along those three areas, around the technology, around the team and the business model, and if you're opportunistic, right, then you have a scenario where good things happen. It's where you get seven, eight, nine, ten years out and you're sort of hoping that something happens where I think it becomes very challenging to create tension aligned, to create a momentum for the organization that is value creative. Love that, Duke. Keep tension in the lines, folks. And it's definitely a great analogy for we're all tasked with in this business because that's the way you get the feedback that you need. No tension, you're not going to feel it. Keep that tension in the line. That's right. Duke, what would you say one of your proudest leadership experiences in healthcare has been to date? So what we do, right, which is take technologies from idea all the way through to market approval and then mm-hmm. getting traction in the market is incredibly challenging. It relies on people. It relies on innovation. It relies on speed. It relies on having capital, business models, everything. And so for me, the, the highest sense of gratification I get is when these groups of people that work with me, right? the engineers and the R&D, the the quality, the manufacturing, the operations, the regulatory, clinical, have come together and created a package that allows to get these things to get to market. And then you're treating patients. I first saw it, Fox Hollow with Silverhawk. We went in and we were taking patients that were otherwise going to get amputations and eliminating the amputations because we could go down and take plaque out of those arteries. And then Celerex, which was uh, the CVI balloon, drug coated balloon, that got to market and completely changed the way peripheral vascular disease was treated. Latera, the same thing, ENT. I mean, 
the culmination of an extraordinary amount of synergistic work and time and having a business model that you actually are able to affect and, and get to the other end, it's extraordinary. And it's extraordinary to do that with the people that I do it with because uh, obviously collectively we do it. And the greatest reward is, is sharing in, in the benefit that these technologies provide to patients with the team that created them. Yeah, and it is hard. You know, I mean, it's hard to even, even if you're going to develop a software and it's a lot easier to ramp up and get out there, it's hard to hit the mark. So I give you big kudos, Duke, and you and the teams that you've put together to have done this multiple times. What keeps you coming back for more? <laughs> you know, it's funny because I wouldn't come back for more if I didn't have uh, the teams, right? And so yeah. what we do is we're all very good at what we do. And I would tell anybody that wants to compete with us that they better watch out because we move fast. We're very, very uh, smart about the different components that you need to do to get, to get these technologies to market. And fundamentally, we are patient first people, right? You, you never, ever compromise patient safety or patient benefit to advance a business model or to uh, support a team, right? That need, that shouldn't be there. And what keeps me coming back is that there are significant areas of improvement that, especially in areas like electrophysiology, where you have a standard of care, where there's like a 65, 70% efficacy rate, right? Mm -hmm. So it's almost a, a coin cost of whether or not the patient's going to benefit from a treatment. That's unacceptable, right? And I think right. that with the teams that I have, you have an ability to go in and optimize and improve so that maybe we can take, you know, a 65 or 70% efficacy and bump it to an 85 or 90% efficacy. The benefit to everybody from that, reduce, the cost of reduce, hospital costs is great. So what keeps me coming back is the idea that there are other stones that can be turned over that create enormous benefit for patients. And it's quite addicting and it's quite fun when you have the people around the table that can take ideas and, and execute them to make them products. Love that, Duke. And there's no doubt you've assembled a, a Navy SEAL equivalent of finding gaps in the market, turning those stones over and cranking it out so well. So love that you're doing that. You've got a lot on your plate. Is there anything in particular, an exciting project or focus that you want to tell the listeners about today? So my whole thing about, my whole thing now is educating people about the opportunity in healthcare and medical devices, you know, it's 17%, I think, of our GDP. It's an enormously important area because it's a little bit less straightforward than social media or technology. I think that the greatest inventor minds a lot of times go into healthcare, but if you think about the three Venn diagrams, the technology, the team, and the business model, uh, the team and the business model are needing as much water and sunlight as uh, the technology and innovation. So what's important to me is, is sort of getting the word out that this is a, a very, very opportunistic and exciting space to be in for all different kinds of people, uh, business people like me, as well as physicians, as well as technological inventors. And the earlier you get into this space, the more exciting it is and the, and the, the greater impact you'll have. I spent a fair amount of time at Harvard Business School and uh, it's just exciting to see that the eyes open up when you say, hey, you can go into medical devices with your background and have an influence. And 
the goal for me, what's exciting to me is that is as the demand to cut costs and to, to make healthcare more affordable becomes at the forefront of everybody's discussion, having leaders and the next generation of people that are thinking about that, that are really bright and pulling them in to like an Epics as opposed to a Facebook, from my perspective, is, is incredibly exciting and something that I take special interest in. That's awesome, Duke. And so listeners, there you have it, call to action. If you're listening to this and you're on the fence, or maybe you're considering a career with the background that you have, consider medical devices and consider healthcare because we need all the help we can get to make it better. Duke, getting to the end here, let's pretend you and I are building a leadership course on what it takes to be successful in the business of healthcare. It's the 101 of Duke. And so I'd like to write out the syllabus by getting a couple brief answers to this lightning round and then follow it with a book that you recommend to the listeners. You ready? Sure. All right. What's the best way to improve healthcare outcomes? Data and organizing data. What's the biggest mistake or pitfall to avoid? The biggest pitfall is to lead with technology and forget about the business model and the team. How do you stay relevant as an organization despite constant change? It's pushing constantly. It's getting information and adjusting and then using that information to reset goals constantly. Because the world's changing. You can't be in a space like ours, which has long, long regulatory timelines. You can't be irrelevant because the market changes while you're getting approvals. Love that. Finally, what's one area of focus that should drive everything in a healthcare organization? So it's patient first, right? If you take care of the patient, then everything else will fall into a place. If you make sure that you're addressing the other components of the equation, your technology team and, and business model. Love that. You've laid it out so clearly for us, Duke. Really appreciate that, that simple approach. What book would you recommend? So I read a book in college that I never thought I'd get through, and it still remains my favorite book. It's War and Peace. And what's interesting is that nice. at its core, War and Peace is a book about people trying to find their footing mm-hmm. in a world that's being turned upside down by, by war, by social and political change, spiritual confusion, etc. And over and over again, the book shows how that in moments of crisis, people either can be shut down or they can open us up, right? And mm-hmm. helping us tap into our deepest reservoirs of creativity and strength when these times happen is is what I found incredibly inspiring about that book. It's a really interesting book. It was an interesting book when I was at Stanford. It's a, it's a very interesting book in that today's you know challenges, tragedies, issues can be overcome and they can pave the way for tomorrow's triumph. So that's my favorite book of all time. Love that. Thanks for recommending that, Duke. And uh, listeners, all the things that we discussed today, Duke's synopsis of technology teams and, and making sure you got the right business model, the book he recommended, and all the things that he's up to, you could go to outcomesrocket.health slash Duke, D-U-K-E, and find all that there along with the show notes and a transcript. Duke, before we conclude, this has been a blast. Um, really have enjoyed getting to know a little bit more about your thoughts in this space. I'd love if you could just share a closing thought with the listeners and then the best place where they could follow you or get in touch with you. Sure. So my closing thought relates to something I saw in 60 Minutes last week. I saw a photo of the Earth from Voyager 1, which was launched in 1977. It's now 
over, I think, 11.5 billion miles from Earth. And when you look at that, you see that when they took a picture, Earth is just a small speck in our solar system. Wow. It's an even smaller speck in our galaxy. And it's not mm -hmm. even relevant in our universe, right, which consists yeah. of billions, billions of galaxies. So the thing that was interesting to me about that is it makes you realize how small and insignificant you are or potentially it empowers you to take risks, right? Because in the, in the scheme of time and history, you're relatively inconsequential. So you might as well make the most of what the time you have here. And to me, it's very empowering because I feel like if you're stuck in a job or if you're thinking about what you could do or should do or might want to do, I would say go jump and do it, right? Because take the risk, challenge yourself, try, fail, try again, do what you need to do to try and create relevance. Because if you fail in the scheme of you know, the universe, it's not a big issue. Right? <laughs> exactly. What a great message, Duke. You know, I got that same feeling. I took my son to the planetarium and they had a big, big picture of galaxies and and it was like, yeah, like you said, it was a little like speck of salt on the entire thing. I'm yeah. like, wow. <laughs> That's a That's great Exactly call. right. It's very, very eye-opening. It's very, very daunting if you think about it. It really is. So. Uh, great call out, Duke. Go out there, folks. Get it done. Don't be afraid. Take some risk. And Duke, what would be the best way for the listeners to get in touch with or follow you? So the best way is probably through LinkedIn, or you can send me an email at drolene, D-R-O-H-L-E-N, at ajaxhealth.com. Those are the two best ways to connect with me. Outstanding. There you have it, folks. Duke Rowan, again, adding some major value to us. The beauty of podcasts is that you could rewind, listen to this again while you go for a run or a drive. A lot of value left here by Duke. And Duke, just want to say thank you so much for making the time for us. We really appreciate it. No problem, Phil. Thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Hey, Outcomes Rocket friends. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast once again. As a leader in healthcare, you have big ideas, great products, a story to tell, and are looking for ways to improve your reach and scale your business. However, there's one tiny problem. Healthcare is tough to navigate and the typical sales cycle is slow. That's why you should consider starting your own podcast as part of your sales and marketing strategy. At the Outcomes Rocket, I've been able to reach thousands of people every single month that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to reach if I had not started my podcast. Having this organic reach enables me to get the feedback necessary to create a podcast that delivers value that you are looking for. And the same thing goes if you start a podcast for what you could learn from your customers. The best thing about podcasting in healthcare is that we're currently at the ground level, meaning that the number of people in healthcare listening to podcasts is small but growing rapidly. I put together a free checklist for you to check out the steps on what it takes to create your own podcast. You could find that at outcomesrocket.health slash podcast. Check it out today and find a new way to leverage the sales, marketing, and outcomes of your business. That's outcomesrocket.health slash podcast.